0: This morning we'll be looking at verses 27 through 28, but I'm going to include verse 29. 1 John chapter 2. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath, hath taught you, so you shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. May we pray. Our gracious Father, open up thy word to our hearts and understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit and bless the word to our hearts so we might grow in grace and in knowledge of Jesus Christ. In his name we do pray, amen. Verse 27 says, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. This anointing abides in you. And you need not that any man teach you. What he's saying here is, but it's for you, the anointing which you have received from him remains in you, Teaching that the Holy Spirit, who is that which the saints is anointed, stays in that person forever. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. So the anointing, therefore, is a person, the Holy Spirit himself, and you need not that any man teach you. Now, we're going to explain what that means. It doesn't mean that we don't need pastors and teachers in the church. It says in John 14, 17, in Jesus' ministry, he says, Even the Spirit of truth... He's called the Spirit of Truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but you know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He dwells in you. He said, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things. The Holy Spirit shall teach you all things, and and you remember, bring all things to your remembrance, Whatsoever I have said unto you, are you and I depending on the Holy Spirit for teaching? He is the great teacher of the Church of the Living God. In John fifteen twenty six he's called the Spirit of Truth. But when the comforter is come whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. If you want to know the difference between truth and error, we need the Spirit of truth to teach us. Where it proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of me. Who does the Holy Spirit point to? He points to Jesus. Who does the Father point to? He points to Jesus. Who does Jesus point to? He points to the Father. They want to point one to the other. Now, the detection of truth helps him to discern heretical teaching. Truth will show you what's wrong. If you've got a a real dollar bill and you see a counterfeit dollar bill the real one shows you how to recognize the counterfeit now the teaching of the holy spirit does not set aside the usefulness and necessity of god appointed and equipped teachers in the church Ephesians 411 called teaching pastors he gave some uh, some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor teachers every pastor is a teacher if he's called of God. Acts 13:1 says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. They were teachers. They taught in the church. 1 Corinthians 12 28 says, And God had set some in the church. First, apostles, secondary, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles, the gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. And Paul says in 2 Timothy. One eleven, he says whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. So you see that God calls men to teach in his congregation. To train the people, to equip the people of God, Brother Dave, in the things of God. Now I want to give you a note on teaching of the Holy Spirit. And this is important that you understand this. What's the difference between The teaching of the pastor and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. They go together. You can't separate them. Without the Spirit you cannot understand what the preacher is teaching. And that this is the importance of this. It does not mean that the believer who has the gift of the Holy Ghost. Does not need the constant instruction of God's ministers. But that he has the inward teaching of the Spirit. The inward teaching of the Spirit corresponding now. To the outward. Outward preaching of the word of God. Get get over here to the. Teaching of the word. So he takes the preaching of the word. And reveals it in in our hearts. I'm preaching. When the truth comes out. The spirit of truth will take that truth. And apply it to your heart. That you can understand it. And confirming it. So that. He that receives it, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God. The word of God. I'm not preaching the word of man this morning. I'm preaching the word of the living God. And the Spirit testifies to that in your heart. Now, Paul did some teaching on the Holy Spirit. He brings out showing the importance of the Holy Spirit in preaching. And you need to be praying for your pastors as we preach That the Holy Spirit would enlighten us during the week to teach us, that we might teach you, and pray that your heart would be prepared to receive the engrafted word, which is able to deliver your souls. Paul says in verse 1 And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with ecstasy of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness. And in fear and in much trembling. And I believe when we come before the people of God to preach, we feel like that. We feel in, inadequate. We don't feel sufficient for these things. We feel, oh, how I need the Holy Spirit to help me to preach the Word of God. He says, in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's what makes the mess preaching important. It comes in the demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's God's power in the inner man that makes the preaching effective in your life. Don't think the preacher can do it by himself. He cannot. All we can do is preach the Word. That's our responsibility. Paul told Timothy, preach the Word, Timothy. It says one plant's, one waters, but God gives the increase. Dave may plant, I might water once a few months later. And suddenly, maybe a month or two later, or six years later, God will give the increase in God's own time. So it's important you understand that. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five and six says, For our gospel came not in you in word only. Word only. And there's a lot of preaching going forth this morning, and it's word only. There's no power with it. They're preaching the doctrines of men. But also in power and in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. When you receive the word in the Holy Ghost in much affliction and joy. You become followers of the Lord. Paul said, Not only are you following us, you're following the Lord. If you hear the teaching of the Word of God, does it affect your life that you start following the Lord more faithfully? Following the Lord. And that's something we want to do every day. We want to follow the Lord. The inward teaching of the Holy Spirit, as it brings out in Ephesians 1 the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know. And that word know there is not genosco to know by experience. This is to know by the inward revelation of the Holy Spirit according to the word of God. He teaches you once and for all. What is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So God the Spirit enlightens us that we might know something brother Dave. He wants us to receive the word of God as the word of God not the words of man. And he'll apply that word to our hearts and then energize us to be obedient to it. And what what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. But that that one phrase I'm going to read to you again. Now remember, the teaching of the Holy Spirit is this. It does not mean that the believer who has the gift of the Holy Ghost does not need the constant instruction of God ministers. You must be faithful coming to the congregation of the Lord and be faithful to the preaching of the word of God by the ministers set over you in the Lord. But that he has the inward teaching of the Spirit corresponding to the outward teaching of the word. So there's more than just hearing the outward of the word. There's that inward teaching of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. See, that's what makes the word of God effective in your life as a Christian. is the inward teaching. God takes the inward word. And he applies it to the inward man. Outward word and preach it to our hearts. And then we have a faith to believe it. And the strength to obey it. That's how you know you've been taught by the Holy Spirit. I just want to make sure that you grasp that. Paul brings out in 1 Corinthians two twelve and 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the Spirit which is of God. That we might know, as again, it's not genosco, it's onate, the things that are freely given us of God. He wants us to know inwardly teaching of the Spirit once and for all, the truth. See, the truth is what protects you from the doctrinal teachings of false prophets today. We have the truth of the Spirit testifying, witnessing to us. Remember the verse that Brother uh, Dave read earlier, greater is he that's in you than he's that's in the world. The Holy Spirit within us helps us overcome the error and the false teaching that's in the world. The things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Now how does the Holy Ghost teach us? And we know he teaches inwardly. But there's another practical way he teaches us also. It says comparing spiritual things with spiritual that word things there is the Greek word logos, which means saying or words. The Holy Ghost teaches us by comparing spiritual words with spiritual words we grow. And we can put it this way, by comparing scripture to scripture to scripture we come to the truth of the of the word of God. That's, you can't take one verse and build a doctrine on it because that you have to put it all together as a whole. And that's how we get so many false teachings today. People will build a uh, a, a doctrine on one verse it says in one place that uh, Judas Iscariot went out and hanged himself it says in another place go do thou likewise well if you take verses out of context you could teach people to go out and hang themselves and that's why it's so important to read the word of God in context don't take it out of the setting where it was put and, and compare scripture with scripture I know Brother Roger and Brother David and myself, we want to challenge you. Read the Word of God daily. Read it daily. And compare Scripture with Scripture to see if these things are so or not. And that's the importance of the Word of God. And then in verse 27, he said, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. Abideth in you. That word abideth is so important. The word abide in the verb occurs 24 times in 1 John. Now it can be translated abide, remain, continue, but it's the same Greek verb. It's used three times in 2 John. And it's used 41 times in the Gospel of John. So that's a very important word in John's vocabulary. Abide, and you know John 15, what is that teaching? You are to abide in the branches and if you don't abide in the root, you're cut off and wither away. So we are to abide in Christ, abide in the Holy Spirit. It says, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things and is truth and is no lie because he's called the Spirit of truth and even hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Oh beloved, we need to constantly be abiding in the Lord. How do we know we've been taught by the Holy Spirit besides what I've said already? First of all, when you're taught by the Holy Spirit, it leads to godliness. You'll live godly lives. Paul says in Titus 1.1, Paul is servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Notice this, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. When the Holy Spirit teaches you and teaches me, It'll lead to a godly life, not an ungodly life. People say, oh, I was a wonderful sermon, and they go out and live as wicked and as ungodly as they did before they came into the church. They wouldn't talk by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit teaches, it will lead to godliness in your life. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God... That bring, bring a salvation that appeared to all man, teaching us. Some people say, oh, I believe in free grace. I believe in free grace. But they live contrary to free grace. Notice what free grace teaches us. Denying, denying ungodliness, but they're living in godly, ungodliness. Worldly lust. We're to deny worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Notice it didn't say in the next world. In this present world. So when the Holy Spirit teaches us inwardly, we will deny wickedness, ungodliness, worldly lust, and we will live godly in this present world. Now, see how we can judge our assurance. If the Word of God has no effect in your life, it's not a very good sign. If a person can keep on sinning and keep on living wickedly and the Word of God has no effect in their lives, they need to, they need to take an account. Now, it's That would be me, you, or anyone. But see, Satan wants to blind our eyes and bewitch us. He bewitches people. Another thing we see when we're taught by the Holy Spirit, as I said before, we become followers of the Lord. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. When you hear the message of God, does it inspire you and encourage you to follow the Lord Jesus? It should. We should be willingly graciously following Christ who is our head of our salvation. He's the captain of our salvation. Another thing it says, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh if we walk in the spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says, this I say, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust thereof. Now, that doesn't mean that you live sinless, but it means you'll have an attitude and a... A disposition to hate sin and when sin tries to come into your life you fight against it and you look to your Lord and if you happen to you know, fall into something you confess it immediately and get rid of it. The One, one author says hold short accounts with God. If, you, if, you, if you've trespassed the Lord's commands or break one of His commands in the Word of God instantly confess it. Say Lord forgive me. If you say something that you shouldn't have said or do something you shouldn't have done whether it be myself or you, we need to immediately take care of that. It's important. In verse 28, he says, and now little children, he calls them little children. John uses that phrase, abide in him. Abide in him. That when he shall appear, now this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, when he shall appear in his revelation, we may have confidence And not be ashamed before him at his coming. John also says in 2.12, I write unto you little children, because your sins are forgiven you. Oh, what a blessing thought that is, beloved. Our sins, our sins, our sins have been forgiven us, Roger. Cleansed, removed as far as the east is from the west. He said, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Judicially, they've been removed from us. There's now no condemnation to them which in Christ Jesus. But I pray that when Jesus is coming to be revealed, that we'll be so living and abiding in Christ that we won't be ashamed when He's revealed. Remember what happened to Peter After he denied the Lord, the Lord looked at him and what did he do? He wept. It broke his heart that he had denied his Master and Lord. And it may be during that day, no one knows the hours we're going to see, when Jesus comes, there may be many believers who will be ashamed at His appearing because the way they're living. They're not abiding in Him. They're not living for Him. They're not glorifying His name. Oh, beloved, we need to pray for our loved ones that are not abiding in Christ. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And now, little children, abide in him. The the exhortation is this. Be constantly abiding in Christ is given in the view of the uncertainty of the time of His coming. We don't know when His coming is we're going to see. The believer must live in close fellowship with his Lord, that he may be ready for that coming. A husband and wife should live in such harmony together if, if that they, 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 they can sense when something's wrong with their other mate. That's how close you should be to each other. And when our fellowship with the Lord should be to the point that we don't want to do anything that would offend or grieve the Holy Spirit. It speaks about grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit. We should live in the body in the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit that we don't quench and grieve the Holy Spirit of God and grieve our Lord. You know, sometimes He looks to us by faith and touches our hearts and it makes us realize, oh... How could I sin against such love as the Lord Jesus Christ? But what happens in a lot of people's lives, they get bewitched by Satan. Satan is our arch enemy. He bewitches us, blinds us, and we become numb to sin. And beloved, this can happen to a believer. We're not beyond falling. We're not beyond needing help. We're not beyond uh, uh, getting to that point where we need the chastening of the Lord. But I do believe that a true child of God when they go back from the Lord God will chasten them to the point He will bring them back before His coming. I believe that. I believe His children will come back to Him. Whom the Lord loveth He chasteneth. Every son, every daughter He chastened them and brings them back to repentance. I'm grateful for that. You say, what does it mean to abide in Christ? How do I abide in Christ? You know, I thought about this. If someone told us in, outside, remain in the church, there's a robber outside. We know what it means to remain in this congregation, in this building. If, some, if we get heard an announcement, abide in your homes, we know what that means. We can understand that. But sometimes when we think about when the scriptures say, abide in Christ, well, what does that mean, abide in Christ? How do I abide in a person? I'm going to give you a quote by John Gill, which I thought was very good. He says, and whom he exhorts to abide in Christ. He says, that is the exercise of faith on him. When you are exercising faith on Christ, you're abiding in him. Of exercising hope in him. You have hope in the Lord. He's our hope. By exercising hope in the Lord, that's abiding in him. And love to him. When we show our love to him by keeping his commandments, by obeying him, that's abiding in him. And to hold him, and hold to him the head, and to hold fast his word and gospel. And abide by his truth. Obey his truth. is abiding in his truth. And ordinances. And that would be the Lord's baptism and the Lord's supper. Every time we come before the Lord's supper, it's the evidence of our uh, uh, death and burial and resurrection with Christ as we remember his death till he come. And a hire to his cause and interests and not be moved away on any consideration. We shouldn't let it, nothing, 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 separate us from the love of God in a practical sense. We know we can never be separated from the love of God as far as salvation is concerned. But in our fellowship with the Lord, our fellowship with the Lord, it's so important. You know, if a, if a husband wants to find out how close he is to his wife, just let him do something she don't like. And he'll find out how, how close he is with his wife. <laughs> I'm going to say nothing more than that. And vice versa, it works both ways. So it is with the Lord. When we grieve the Lord, He lets us know. He convicts us. He burdens us. The psalmist David says, if I should regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear me. You said, well, I thought he said our sins and iniquities he would remember no more. That's true in judicial sense. But in fellowship, we have to confess our sins moment by moment in fellowship. We're in fellowship with the Lord. In other words, we enjoy communion. We're praying to the Lord. We're talking to the Lord. And the Lord says, when you sin... You have, an, you have an advocate. You know, John says in the beginning, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he says in 1 John that he's a propitiation for our sins. His sins are covering our, his blood is covering our sins and we have an advocate as soon as we sin runs to our cause and says, I'm here to help you. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord understands because he was tempted at all points like we are yet without sin. As you think about some of those being ashamed, some people apply that to Christians, some people apply it to the lost. Can you imagine how it would be to those who know not God and obey not the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus appears in His second coming, whom God said they shall be destroyed from the very presence of the Lord, consumed with the word of His power, that obey not the gospel and love not the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved, it's going to be a serious day when Jesus comes. But are you abiding in him? Are you loving him? Are you putting your faith in him? Are you trusting him? I guess one of the, says confess your faults one to another and you should be healed. I guess I'll confess one of my faults. It's hard for me sometimes not to be (laughs) over-concerned. We call that worry, you know, about certain things in my life, in my children's life. And sometimes I have to say, Lord, forgive me. I I I shouldn't have all this worry in my life. I should trust you more. Knowing that you're in charge, knowing that you can do abundantly above all that I ask or think. But it reminds us that we're still in this flesh. And without God, we cannot be spiritual. Without God, we cannot have faith. You know, we read the promises of God, and we want to claim those promises. I can do all things through Christ, who's infusing strength into me. But if I don't have faith and believe that, it's going to be ineffective. Now, you can know it intellectually, but see, it takes the Holy Spirit. That's the teaching of the Spirit. Remember, He teaches inwardly what you hear the outward word. He'll, he'll apply that to our heart and give us the faith to believe. I can do that. I can do, I can live the Christian life because it's Christ living through me by the Holy Spirit. So I can live for the Lord Jesus. Some people won't join the church because they say, well, I, I, I don't know if I can live it or not. Step out by faith. Step out by faith. And say, Lord, you commanded me to be baptized. You commanded me as a believer to join the congregation. By faith, I'm going to stand, step out by faith and join the Lord's congregation. And pray that you'll give me the faith to live what I profess. And, you, and why, what happens if you don't say you, you sin the next week? God already provided for you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have an advocate with the Father. Beloved, you're not alone when, when the Lord's there to help us when we sin. The Holy Spirit will convict us of our sins. Jesus draws us. Paul said the love of Christ constrains us. The more you see the love of Christ on the cross dying for your sins, that draws you. Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have did what I did. I sinned against you. I sinned against your love. That was one of the things that brought me back to the Lord when I was young. I realized the Lord hadn't done nothing to me. Why did I take it out on Him for? It? And that kept plaguing them, working on my heart, and I realized how much God loved me. And I, I said, I'm going right back to I'm going back to the congregation and go back to the house of God where I should be. And that and it was because of God's love touched my heart in such a real way. The word confidence. Confidence. We may have confidence and not be ashamed. The word confidence there means fearless, fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness, assurance. You know it says in Hebrews, let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. See sinners, even children of God in the congregation need mercy. Because when we sin, what do you need? Mercy. And find grace to help in what? When you're in a need, grace is there to help you. See, God provided everything we need. Salvation to save us, salvation to keep us, salvation to preserve us, and His blood will eventually take us all home to glory. So we can say, He that glorieth, let him glory, brother Roger, in the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? We're not alone. We're not alone. Sometimes you feel like that, you know. One of the hardest things to me to cope with now is being alone. I've never been alone in all my life. Mother passed away. But we're never, we're never really alone because God is always with us. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'll say, Good morning, Father. Good morning, Son. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Because they're with me and their presence is with me. But we're not always conscious of that because we get our mind off on, on things, other things, and we forget the goodness of the Lord. But I think about one day. In that city whose builder and maker is God, we'll never be alone again. We will be with our loved ones, we will be with the saints of God, we all will be there singing praises to Jesus Christ as our Lord and King. What a day that's gonna be. And that's gonna be a Jubilee, brother Dave. I tell you what. You talking about singing Amazing Grace. Think about twenty or thirty billion people singing Amazing Grace. That's gonna be that's really gonna be amazing. Mm. I hope we sing Amazing Grace up there. We may have other songs, heavenly songs, but I tell you, I kind of like that. Who saved a wretch like me. Oh, I tell you. Aren't you glad that Jesus died for sinners? If he didn't, I would have no hope. Aren't you glad that God forgives believing sinners when we sin? Yes. If he didn't, I would have no hope. Aren't you glad that Jesus is coming back for his children? Yes, If he didn't come back and get us, we would have no hope. And this brings us down to the next thing I want to read to you here. The word speaks of a harsh attitude of a saint who lives so close to the Lord Jesus that there is nothing between him and his Lord. When he comes, nothing of known sin is in his life when the Lord appears in his second coming. This is the kind of saint that keeps a daily check upon himself as to sin in his life. He maintains a constant yieldness to and dependence upon the Holy Spirit to show him sin in his life and give him the grace to judge and put it out in his life. That's what we do. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us. When we're convicted, we judge it. We put it out. He that confesses his sins and forsaketh them shall obtain what? Mercy. Now you can't confess the sin and keep living in it. That's not true confession. That's kind of like the old saying, Oh, I got caught, so I'm going to confess it. You know, no. True confession will give you the desire to reject it. When He shall appear. Oh, isn't that what we're waiting on, Brother Dave? When He, Jesus Christ, shall appear. The early church remembered that Jesus had told His disciples that the time of His return was, was unrevealed. It wasn't revealed the time of His coming. Notice what he said in Mark chapter 13, verses 32 and 33. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the sun. Now some people say, well, if he was God, how how could he not know the day? In his humanity he was limited, but as God he was unlimited. See, when it speaks about limitation, that's in his humanity. Remember, Jesus had the nature of God. He had the nature of man. It says as a man, he grew. As a baby, he grew. And knowledge, he increased in knowledge. Not as God, he knew all things. Keep that distinction. But the Father, take you heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. Verse 44 says, of Matthew 24, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. You know, remember I said one time I can tell you when the Lord's coming, over at the church over there at that time, when it was at that far house, I said, He's coming when you think not. He's and that's when he's coming, when you think not. And Matthew twenty five, thirteen says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We're in the Son of Man cometh. And that's why John's saying, we don't know when He's going to appear, but He's going to appear. And we should so be abiding in Him that no matter when He appears, we're ready. We're confessed up. We're walking with the Lord. We're in fellowship with the Lord. We're praying to the Father. We're praying to the Holy Spirit. And we're having fellowship with God. He can come at any moment. We're ready. That's how we should be living. I'm not saying we're perfect in that. But that should be our goal. Paul says to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. Beloved Christianity is more to it than coming to church on Sunday or Wednesday. It means living for the Lord every moment of your life. And in Luke 12 40, he says, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. The word shall appear shall appear. In Colossians 3, 4, it says, when Christ, who is our life, who is our life? Jesus Christ says, shall appear. Then shall you appear with him in glory. Oh, I'm waiting for that day. Because when he appears, we're going to appear with him in glory. 1 Peter 5, 4 says, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, he's coming, the great shepherd of the sheep is coming, beloved. When he shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away." And in 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Isn't it wonderful when we are resurrected, we're going to be changed into His likeness. A glorified body without sin, without blemish, and without spot. Oh, I'm waiting for that day. I won't have to deal with Leroy no more. He's gone, oh, praise God and in first John one two it says, "For the life was manifested." It was talking about Jesus Christ manifesting his incarnation that same that same uh, verb a Greek verb there was manifested as the same one that's translated shall appear, shall appear, he shall appear. It's a manifestation of Christ. and He's coming, beloved. We're going to see him. See him in his coming. I've had a note here. In First John 1, 2, it says, John uses the same verb to refer to the appearing of the incarnate Son and his earthly ministry was manifested unto us. He who appeared among men as the incarnate revelation of God to mankind will appear again in in open glory, the return of his resurrection. Oh, beloved. And glorious appearing is the hope of the church. As we think about the hope of the church, Paul says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing. Of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Is that what you're living for this morning? Is Jesus your blessed hope? And are you looking for His glorious? Words cannot imagine. Periods when He appears in in the skies and heaven to be opened. And the glory of God and all the angels and all the saints caught up from the graves. What a day that will be. We sing that song. I'm looking forward to that day. Hallelujah. Paul says, also in, uh, he said, being caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians four seventeen, He says, that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now I don't want to work on your feelings, but I tell you what, when we're resurrected and you look over there and see mom and dad going up with you, that's gonna, I tell you, that's going to flood your soul with joy. Hallelujah. When we see all the saints being resurrected and we all going up to meet the Lord in the air. Beloved, that's our hope. Yeah, we get discouraged down here sometimes and we get cast down, we get depressed. We all do. I don't care who you are. But Paul says the sufferings of this present world cannot be compared to the glory of that shall be revealed in us. When is that, Paul? When the resurrection. When you receive a new body and you're changed into the likeness of Christ and you see all the saints being resurrected, then you'll say, to God be the glory, great things He hath done. Hallelujah. It's worth it all. Every tear, every heartache that we go through, it's worth it all. It can't be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Because our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in Philippians 3, our conversation, that word, the Greek word there means citizenship, is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. We're aliens down here. We're called aliens and pilgrims, strangers in this world. For whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What was Peter's words about the return of the Jesus Christ? He says in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope, Brother Roger. We don't have a dead hope. We have a lively living hope because the head of our hope is in heaven who's coming again, who is our life. He said, remember what Colossians says, when, our, when Christ shall appear, who is our life. Then shall we appear with Him in glory. And Paul said, as I said earlier, for that, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle Bond declares in verse uh, uh, 7, Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him. Oh boy, we're going to see Him in that day. He's coming, every eye. And they also which pierce him. And all the kingdoms of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. Some will be rejoicing and some will be crying and weeping. As they face the judge. As they face the the line of the tribe of Judah. Remember verse 28. We read, and now little children abide in him. See why it's so important that we abide in Christ that when He shall appear, we may have confidence or have assurance and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. And Paul says in Colossians 2.6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. I pray that these simple truths, if applied by the Spirit, may encourage you this week to be looking For the coming of Christ. And may by the grace of God as we read the word of God. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. Confess your sins to God and he'll cleanse you. Ask for strength and he'll strengthen you. Ask him to give you courage, he'll give you courage. Whatever your need is, the Lord is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. May we pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for Thy word and testimony. Pray that you'll bless this teaching to our hearts. May the Holy Spirit help us to learn more about Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Anyone have a song in closing?